On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we've got an interview with future NFL Hall of Famer Joe Thomas. Of course, we talk some Cleveland Browns, but we also break down all the matchups in the NFL Divisional Playoffs this weekend. Before Joe's interview, we bring you the latest OU football updates, including Nick Benito returning for another season and the high expectations for the 2021 season. In the National College Football Roundup, we recap Alabama's dominant performance against Ohio State and bring you the latest college football news, including Bob Stoops being selected for the College Football Hall of Fame. We also give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's beautiful Thursday, January 14th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. We are watching the Oklahoma City Thunder get slaughtered by the Los Angeles Lakers, so we won't be doing much of a breakdown of that one. But we've got Joe Thomas, a future NFL Hall of Famer, one of the best, arguably the best, Cleveland Brown of all time. Uh, we've got an interview with him talking NFL playoffs. And, Teddy, there's, an, there, there's a ridiculous amount of Brown, Browns fans in the state of Oklahoma now. Like, it's ridiculous well, in a good way, a good ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, – I don't know. There's probably more Browns fans here, like fans, people that like the Browns. Uh, most of their fans in Cleveland hate them or have hated them for a huge stretch because of uh, all of the disappointment. But um, that's – you know, we talked recently about how fun Baker Mayfield was to cover, to play with, to, to watch as a fan. And he elicits a lot of emotion in people that watch him to cheer for him and people that watch him to cheer against him. So he's a dynamic guy and never in my life would I think that I would walk into a random house or a random restaurant or anywhere and have people 
huddled around a Browns game, but that's what Baker's done. And since he's been there, the Cleveland Browns, uh, good years and bad have been can't miss football. Yeah. And so we talk a lot about the Browns with Joe Thomas. We also look at the other NFL divisional playoff games. So you won't want to miss that. That's at the end of the episode, but let's get to the local college football. And that is brought to you by new sponsor alert Uh river wind casino. Wow. Love it. River. Now contracts just got finalized tonight. We have not developed the ad read yet, but it's the best casino on planet earth. (laughs) If you ask me, Ted best casino ever. Coldest beer, best drinks. Yeah, everything. Absolutely. Loosest slots. It's the best. Riverwind <laughs> Casino. So we're very excited to have Riverwind on board. Uh, can't wait to work with the wonderful people over there. So let's get to the OU news. Uh, now, actually, before we do the OU news, we did get a lot of positive feedback on our interview with Jared Followell from Kings of Leon. And we'll be getting a little more creative with guests uh, once the NFL season is over, right? Once football is actually stopped. So here's what we would like from y'all. If you want us to try to get someone on the podcast, this is what we need you to do. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And in the comment, tell us who you want us to try to get on the podcast and why. I'm telling you right now, we are not above sliding into whatever DMs we have to slide into to try and get someone on here that you guys want. So we'll do whatever we can to try to get the people you guys want on here as football season comes to a close. So yeah, five-star review on Apple Podcasts because Spotify doesn't let you leave reviews. So five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell us who you want us to try to get on the show and why, and we'll do our best, right, Ted? I mean, that's all we can do is our best. Yeah, there's already a lot of talk out there around the music industry that this may be the the podcast to go on when you've got an album that's about to come out. That's so, I mean, th- those are the rumors. That's those are the rumors. what we're hearing. Already. That's just what the streets. That's what the streets are saying. <laughs> okay, let's let's get to the OU stuff. Uh, first, very exciting news for Oklahoma. Nick Benito announced he's coming back, and Ted, we've talked about this. That that's a smart decision for Benito. He, he showed a lot this year, was productive, really racked up some of those sack numbers. But to me, he's a guy that needs to have a great offseason. And we'll, we'll see what the offseason looks like. We'll see what spring ball looks like. We'll see what summer conditioning looks like. But he clearly has the athleticism. He's He has that fluidity he has that ability to bend off the edge Uh, I I think he's got really good natural timing in the twist games that they run but he needs to get bigger and stronger he he needs to add mass he needs to look more of the part and I think he can with a big time offseason in the weight room and then if he does that he is going to be an absolute problem for opponents next season, but it's exciting. He's coming back, making a smart decision. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I don't want to sound like a Nick Benito hater whenever I say this, because I'm not, but I, I still think that he needs to develop more as a natural pass rusher. 
um, you know, he's, he's good at the games, as you mentioned. We saw a couple of games where he was really, uh, really dialed in on his get-off, which helped him a lot. Um, but he gets a lot of his production on what I call like fall-on sacks, where someone has, someone has beat a, def- uh, a blocker, flushed the quarterback, and he's there to kind of clean up the, the mess. Um, he's not like an oboe who created all of the pressure for the defensive line off the edge or a striker who created a ton of pressure off the edge. He he's, he's just kind of a piece of the rush right now. And that's really what we're missing is that go to edge pass rusher. That's got a, a great speed move. That's got a great counter and we can go with the straight four-man rush and just let that guy go to work on, out on the outside. Uh, I think he can. I think he's got the tools to develop into that. I agree that I think he needs to get bigger and more explosive, because as a as a pass rusher, you've got to be able to either have elite speed and get around the corner, or have the threat of speed a great bull rush and a great counter. You've got to have all three of them. And I don't know that Benito has all of that. Um, I think he can he develop done. it. He doesn't, he doesn't yet. Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't like, like you mentioned, if you go back and look at all of his sacks this year, I, I bet there's only a couple of them where it's him straight rush beating an offensive tackle. I bet. I, I think you're right. I don't, I think it's probably only a couple of those sacks that he got this year. So I, I do, I, I think Jamar Kane is a guy that can raise Benito's level and get him those tools. But the physical component, like you're saying, the power, the explosiveness, there, there's only one way you develop that. And that's in the weight room. That's, that's hard work. That's putting the time in. That's what he's got to do in my mind. Like he has some of the tools just naturally right? The ability, but that, that explosiveness and power, it's just not, not always. Some guys have got it just naturally, but that's something you just got to work and work and work at. And and that's where he needs to get because he needs to be that difference off the edge to where, you know, like we saw, you know, the Cleveland Browns do right against, uh, against the Steelers where they're overloading one side and they're leaving miles Garrett over on the other side saying, okay, go to work. You got this guy one-on-one. Now, the, <laughs> the Steelers decided they were just going to double-team Miles Garrett, which was a good decision. <laughs> but that's the kind of guy Oklahoma needs. And right now, it feels like Benito is the closest guy they have to that until we see some guys that maybe have some more potential show that they can be that guy. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the thing that is going to – make Benito way better this off season. I agree about Kane and I agree about getting in the weight room, but Brendan Walker, I think he's going to start pushing him because he is too big, too strong and plays with such a great motor that he's a guy that you've got to put on the field. And if, if he can develop some of those, those tools off the edge, pass rushing tools, because he was a freshman this year. He was raw, but he's big and strong and fast. You know, if he could start to put together some of those techniques and those details about 
how to get around the edge on guys, look out for him to start stealing some of those reps. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of it now. I don't want to get too far off track, but that rush package they were bringing in where it was Perkins, Benito, uh, Winfrey, and Isaiah Thomas. Now that rush package turns into Walker, Benito, Isaiah Thomas, very on Winfrey. Mm-hmm. That's going to be that's going to be a pretty good group. Okay, uh, let's move on. A couple guys that transferred out have found a home. TJ Pledger announced he's transferring to Utah, and Charleston Rambo announced he's headed to the U. Going to go down there, play for Manny Diaz at Miami, and good landing spot for both of these guys. And hope they both play well. Well, we'll see for Rambo's sake. We'll see if De'Aaron King is ready to go for the start of the season. I remember he tore his ACL in that bowl game. So we'll see how quickly he can bounce back. I would expect him to be ready, but those that's two pretty good spots, right? Two good programs these kids are landing at. No, I think so. Um, I think it's perfect for Pledger at Utah. It's a, a good, solid spot, uh, typically good offensively year in, year out. And Charleston Rambo, that's about as good of a football team. I, what Miami's got to be fringe top 10 as far as the, the AP uh, to head into next year. Typically, if you're leaving a place like Oklahoma because of maybe getting passed up, you're not going to be able to go to another top 10-ish type of school and expect to walk right on the field and, and be the guy. And I think he's going to have a chance to do that at Miami with a good quarterback. That's about as good of a, uh, a situation that you can go into. Now, he's going to have to step his game up to go down there and earn those targets, but I think it has the chance to be a, a great matchup with him and Derek King. Yeah, and, and for pleasure's sake, Utah, obviously a program that has run the football quite a bit. I really do think that he can be a productive back if he gets into a predominantly zone scheme system. Uh, he He's a guy that is decisive with the ball in his hands, makes one cut, can get north and south. Uh, I think if you put him in some better situations in some zone running concepts, I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden we're looking up and you're like, Hey, do you see that TJ Pledger had 200 yards rushing for Utah yesterday? Like that, that really wasn't surprised me because he's got the talent. So hope he does well. Oh, one more great Calcaterra back. Now, remember he announced he was going to Auburn several months ago. Well, clearly Auburn has fired Gus Malzahn. So things have changed. He announced he will be headed to SMU. So we wish Calcaterra the best of luck, right? As a pony. Sure. Why not? Yep, get some targets down there. They're going to be whipping the ball around, uh, throwing it. They've, they've put up some huge numbers in the passing game over the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a great one. Uh, back to Pledger just quickly. I think the one thing he's going to benefit from if he's able to win that spot is rhythm. I feel like he's a rhythm back. And at Oklahoma, he's, he's never really had a chance to be – the guy, uh, you know, a ton of carries in a game to where you can really get into a rhythm. And whenever he did this year, he, he had a couple of games whenever he went over 100 yards. So I think that's going to be huge for him too. Yeah, and I just remembered uh, Grant Calcaterra going to SMU. Mordecai also that's heading right. to SMU. So OU connection. 
little connection there. We'll be rooting for those guys. Now, college football season's over. OU finishes number six in the AP and coaches poll, which seems about right, Ted. But the thing that has OU fans fired up is all of the way too early top 25s that are coming out because a whole lot of them have Oklahoma in the top two or three. And they've got, I, I think I looked at a couple different places. They've got the fourth or fifth best betting odds, uh, depending on where you look to win the title next year. So we've been talking about this for a long time, right? That next year could be the year where Oklahoma makes a serious run at a national championship. And clearly, Ted, we're, we're not the only people that feel that way because there are high expectations everywhere for Oklahoma football next season. Yeah. And, you know, for good reason. Um, obviously, Oklahoma's got the right people coming back, but I think it's more about who the top teams are going to be losing. Everyone, you know, the contenders that we see year in, year out are going to have turnover at quarterback. Doesn't necessarily guarantee that those teams are are going to take a step back, but I think it's likely, you know, here's, here's one of the reasons I think next year is going to be a, a good chance for Oklahoma. Last year, LSU, a historically excellent team. This year, Alabama, a historically excellent team. I don't think next year's champion, even if it is Alabama, I don't think next year's champion is going to be anywhere near as good as this year's champion. You know, um, I'm not saying that Alabama can't win it next year, but next year's team won't be as good as this year's team for Alabama. So I think there's going to be a low, lower level of college football playoff team next year. And in turn, that helps Oklahoma's chances quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, and I know they lost some, valuable pieces that they were really hoping to get back, right? When you look at Mondre Stevenson, uh, Ronnie Perkins, uh, I don't think a lot of people anticipated Trey Norwood making the jump. I think they thought they'd have that versatile piece in, in the secondary next season. But with the way they've been recruiting, with the way they've been coaching these guys up, with the approach they take, especially defensively, they got to take a step. They they have to, and – the expectations are what they are. I mean, that's that. That's normally how it is, right, at Oklahoma. So uh, I, I can't wait for next season. Man, it's, it's going to be great. Okay, let's move on to Call Your Shot, and that's brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this first ballot college football hall of famer. Boom. This is coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much. I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. 
Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. And we asked you nothing because I forgot to send the tweet out. So that's that's on that's on me. That's my bad, Ted. But uh, <laughs> I went back and found one from a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's good. It applies. And this comes from Kendall Eshback on Twitter at Kendall Eshback. Hope I'm saying that right. But he said, "Here's one told to me by a Bama fan: Texas will no longer be a pushover. Sark will rebalance the Big Twelve. Sark will put an end to OU's conference titles. Ooh. I mean, <laughs> I, hey, the, the the look of disgust on your face. Are you all right, man? Here's the thing, and." This is this is this is so Texas, but they're not getting Nick Saban. That Alabama fan is acting like Sarkeesian is going to be mini Saban and go to Texas and do all of the same things that Saban's done in Tuscaloosa. That's not going to happen. Just like whenever they got Tom Herman hoping that they had Urban Meyer 2.0, it didn't happen then. Texas's problem is not X's and O's. I think Sarkeesian is a great X's and O's coordinator. I love what he does with his offense. I love the fact that they he moves and motions people. I don't think enough people in college football do that. Um, it's great. I like their running game. I like their schemes. But again, Texas doesn't have an X's and O's problem. Texas has a culture problem, a too many chefs in the kitchen problem. Every single person that's a booster, um, a administration, a regent wants their hand in the program. That's what Sarkeesian has to figure out, not how to call plays, how to navigate that cesspool shark pit of Austin, Texas and everyone wanting to have influence over the program. That's that's what he's up against. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. Now, we're one day in, and he's said the right things in his press conference, but it's yet to be determined if he's going to be able to pull all of the, the different factions, the Game of Thrones, uh, different groups in Austin together, under one flag and be able to to go out and try and take down some opponents because it hasn't happened in a long time. And on that note, <laughs> we'll just go straight <laughs> to the National College Football Roundup. That's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers, They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Okay, I know it's been a couple of days, but Ted, we haven't been able to recap 
the national championship game. And let's let's just start from the beginning. Trey Sermon goes down on his first carry of the football game, and it sucked. Uh, I was heartbroken for him, and I felt horrible. And I do think that that injury affected Ohio State. Uh, I do. Now, I don't think it, it made that big of a difference because it was clear that Alabama was a significantly better football team. But when you have a guy that has played that well heading into that game and has been that important to that team go down that early, it affects the team mentally. It, it just does. And it, it wouldn't have made you know a, a huge difference, but it, it certainly would have given them a better chance. But, man, that was just... That was just really unfortunate for Sermon. No, it was. I hated seeing that. Um, it's frustrating uh, watching him, and I know that you know he had he had pinpointed this game, and he'd drawn a lot of attention in, la- in the last couple of weeks. But this was like this was it. This was his opportunity. All the eyes in the country on him specifically that he could really do something and move up through the draft. Um, I still think that he's going to get taken decently high with what he showed, but it's frustrating. And I, going through this brutal of a year and having the opportunity to cap it off with a, a championship type of performance and having that taken from you right there at the last second is, is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. So looking at the game from that point on, really – you know, Ohio State strips Mac Jones, uh, forced that turnover. They converted into a touchdown, and it was 14-14. And I, I felt like we all were hoping we were going to get a great national championship game. Now, it didn't look like Ohio State was going to be able to stop Bama, but at that point, it also didn't look like Bama was going to be able to stop Ohio State. Alabama was really struggling with some of the tempo stuff that Ryan Day was throwing at him. Uh, Justin Fields was doing some really good things. But then Alabama gets not even a stop, but they force the field goal, right? And instead of Ohio State answering and making it 21-21, they kick the field goal, and it's 21-17. And, Teddy, it was all Alabama from that moment on, it was crazy because it, it was back and forth. It looked like Alabama was the better team, but you know, Ohio state was doing some good things. And then all of a sudden that field goal got kicked and it was, uh, it was like, it was over. Yeah. And then Alabama, you know, at the end of that half scoring and then getting a chance to, to, you know, they waited and then used that timeout. I thought they were going to put another one in there. So did I. And, and get the ball there coming out of half. So expertly managed by Alabama, their defense, give their defense credit. Uh, they've been, you know, I, I think um, not ridiculed, but talked about how they weren't nearly as good as defenses of the past. And I thought they played great. I thought they did some really good stuff. Uh, were fantastic getting to the quarterback, uh, played well in the back end. So it was just an all-around dominant performance. Yeah, I thought that Bama defense, you talk about a guy making money, Christian Barmore ends up being the defensive MVP. Boy, did that big dude control things in the interior of that defensive line. My goodness, but you talk about 
limiting what Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were able to do. Now they they made some plays. Don't get me wrong, but I, I'm with you. I thought that Alabama did. Did we even hear Patrick Sertan's name like in the game? Not really. I, I mean, I was I mean, watching maybe once him or out twice. There. Yeah. I, I was watching him out there. I think he had an opportunity maybe at a at an interception in the end zone that he dropped, uh, hit him in the hands, uh, like a bad throw ball that he didn't expect to come to him. But uh, he was good. He made some nice tackles out there. But that's the thing is like as a corner, if you're not hearing your name out there, that means you're doing a good job. And he locked down pretty good. Um, you know, I I, I thought that, Ohio State, I expected them to be able to come out and just go up and down the field, especially whenever, you know, they. I thought they were going to have to open things up. I thought they were going to hit on some big stuff, but credit that secondary, credit the backers underneath. They could just not find nearly as much as, as I thought down the field. Now, when you consider the circumstances, right, the, the this being the national championship game, what Devontae Smith did in that first half is uh, arguably the best half we've ever seen or seen a receiver play in the history of college football. Like it was, I mean, it was spectacular and who knows how many they score if he doesn't hurt that finger. But Ted, I did want to pick your brain because you know, you know defense incredibly well. How, why, did Ohio State have so much trouble with the motion that Sarkeesian was using and the way that he was using Devontae Smith? Because it, it seems like at times they were just lost. Like I felt bad for number seven, the Banks kid. He, he just looked exhausted like he was running around. You saw Sean Wade, you know, get lost in the motion as well. It just, I couldn't believe they handled that so poorly. I, this is why it is frustrating for me to watch at times when offenses are stagnant before the snap and we've talked about it on here before, whenever a guy goes across the formation, it takes absolutely nothing for an offense to put that in. Nothing start over here, run over there. And then that's whenever we're going to snap it. But for a defense, whenever a guy runs across the formation, it, if you're playing zone, it changes everyone, all seven guys on the back end, it changes their drop. It changes their run fit, changes everything about what you're doing. Uh, uh, one coverage may be completely off and you have to go to a new coverage. A blitz may have to be ch checked completely off and go to a different coverage on the back end. That's what just one guy going across the, the formation does. You know, as far as, you know, some of the stuff last night, I thought it was way too casual by Ohio State. If I got the Heisman Trophy winner going in like speed motion across the formation and I've seen him on film hit him on the bubble to create space and let him go out there and make a guy miss, I'm not going to be way behind him and three-quarter speed. I've got to be busting my tail before the snap to make sure I, I close all that distance. Now, that's just on film. After they do it in a game like 10 times to me, I'm damn sure not going to be going at half speed back there because he's just going to make you look look foolish. So I thought it was way too casual on the back end uh, before the snap from Ohio State. And just give him credit. They blocked well on the edge on some of those plays and let him go 
man to man on on a individual tackler and it's just tough he as fast as he is and all that space just incredibly difficult yeah some of the things that sarkeesian did especially some of the stuff he did in the in 12 personnel i thought was really creative i I thought they did a really good job but some of that motion stuff uh and, and some of the breakdowns for ohio state defensively i was just like listen yeah, he, he's calling good plays, but also these guys are just making huge mistakes. I mean, critical errors on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, one of the examples is Ohio State brings an edge pressure, right? And no one takes Najee Harris out of the backfield on a little swing route. Uh, some people call it kind of a wheel, like whatever you want to call it. But he is wide open. He catches it makes a guy miss and scores a touchdown. And I'm just like, how does no one peel with the back when you're bringing edge pressure? Like I know for a fact, someone is responsible for the running back. I I don't know what kind of pressure and how they were scheming the things, but I know someone's supposed to have him man to man when they bring that edge pressure. And he was all alone. How does that happen in the national championship game? Like how trying to do someone else's job, you fall behind and you start scrambling and as maybe it's the backer, I never know over there because, you know, in some pressures, the outside rusher defensive end will peel with the back. Uh, some pressures, the running, the linebacker has the back man to man. And if he swings, you have to exit the pressure and take him. But I don't know that one, but it's an instance of a guy saying, I'm on a blitz. I'm going to go get this sack. And you're so focused on trying to do that, that you don't lock down your responsibility. Next thing you know, they create a explosive play on you. I mean, and, uh, you know, back to some of the stuff like why Devontae Smith and Alabama had so many guys open downfield. In my opinion, it's because of Najee Harris. And we've seen that at times in Oklahoma's offense, that our running game is so effective that, the safeties and backers get enamored with it and you end up having these huge gaping holes that you're throwing to. It's like, how in the world could Didi Westbrook be open by 15 yards? Well, it's because everyone on the team is thinking run and piling in there to stop the play action. And there's the wide open Didi Westbrook. It's the same thing with Devonte Smith. How in the world can the Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver be wide open by 10 yards in the national championship game? Well, it's because the play action of Najee Harris has everyone's eyes right there in the box and they're out of position. So that's why excellent running game is so effective. Yeah, and uh, there was a lot of talk about one play in particular, right, where Devontae Smith is the number three wide receiver right on the inside and basically runs across – the field and they're in a cover three look and the tough Borland kid is chasing him (laughs) running as fast as he could. And people were, you know, criticizing Ohio state and what they were doing defensively. But I don't think people realize how high level of quarterback play Mac Jones was displaying on that play. Like he knew they were going to be in cover three. He knew how the safety would react when he just stared to his left and moved him with his shoulders, even steps up in the pocket, still everything looking left. So, of course, 
the guy that's got the middle third of the field is leaning the way that the quarterback is staring and moving. And then he delivers the football. First of all, it's a perfect throw. throw. It's a a perfect throw, but his body posture still, when he delivers the ball is still telling that middle safety, Hey, the ball's going over this way to the left, not over to the right to Devontae Smith. So while I understand some people that just wanted to clown, you know, tough Borland and him doing his damnedest to run, looked like he was, you know, trying, running in quicksand almost, but that was just really good quarterback play as well. Like that you have to give Mac Jones some credit. He knew what the coverage was. He knew how the safety would react if he did what he did. And he knew the second that he knew he was getting that coverage, what he was going to do. And he did it and delivered a perfect throw. And everyone wants to make fun of what Ohio state was doing, but sometimes the offense just is better than you. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that you've got to do as a defender is every time that you're in a defense, you have to expect that the offense knows what you're in. So one of the most important things for a defender is to know every defense's weakness. Okay. Uh, cover two, it's the whole shot out on the outside, the, the smash seven, the corner inside the say on the, on the sideline underneath the safety and the turkey the hole as John Gruden used to call exactly. it. Exactly. Or if it's a Tampa, it's the backside, uh, backside little hook, right? You look off the underneath guys and you throw the backside hook. I mean, there's, there's beaters for, for every defense and for cover three, the beater is four verticals. Okay, so if you're in cover three and I'm the Mike backer and I know I've got to run through on this guy, I've got to carry that that seam. I've got the Heisman Trophy winner is the inside number three wide receiver. Okay, I'm looking back at the safety before the snap and I'm telling him eyes right here. Look who we've got at number three. They're trying to isolate me. Right. So I'll be damned where the quarterback's looking you're helping me with the fastest guy on their team, all right? The backside corner away from the trips. So typically, he's a deep third player, but on the backside of three by one, if there's just one wide receiver, he's got to get like, he has to play the out route. He has to kind of play it all by himself. Well, he needs to have his antennas up as well that they've got three by one, four verticals. If I get a short route, I need to slough off because they're trying to, they're trying to either, they're going to attack that. The quarterback's going to throw it right away. If he doesn't throw it right away, I've got to sink because they're trying to attack that hole. They're trying to keep me up for a reason. And I've got to help over the top of that. So that's all pre-snap communication. And like I said, if I'm that backer, I'm like doing jumping jacks to my safety (laughs) saying, dude, let's, Help me out a little bit here. Here it comes. We know it's coming. There's a reason he's at the number three inside slot position. Yeah. I feel like some people probably just learned something right there. (laughs) I feel like, I I feel like some people just learned something. Now, anything else from that game? I, the Jalen Waddle thing. Ooh, that, that made me uncomfortable the entire time. Listen, I get that the kid wanted to be out there, right? And that was Saban's thing. Like, hey, he wants to be out there, but he shouldn't have been. And I, I'm all for being a tough guy and all those things and playing through pain. But 
I feel like he was in danger. Now, nothing bad happened, right? He never really got hit, and he just he, he couldn't even stop. Like, he couldn't stop. He couldn't change direction. This is a guy that's going to be a first-round guy. I, I just felt like Alabama's coaches should have protected him from himself at some point because – I mean, when Smith went down, he went out there even more. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, please. Oh, no. Don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. I don't want to watch this guy's leg shatter because he can't move. I I hated that whole situation. It literally made me uncomfortable every time he was on the field. Yeah, you know, I, I get it. Um, He's tough, though. Here's the thing, you know, and I don't know what your experience is, but mine is that I've never been around a training staff that will put a guy out there whenever he's hasn't passed all the protocols, isn't ready, isn't hasn't looked good in workouts and tests leading up to it. I mean, the coaching staff doesn't know. If the kid's telling him that he's ready to go, the coach is going to look at the training staff and say, is, is he good? And if the training staff gives the thumbs up, I mean, you know, yeah. typically the coaching staff's going to say, okay, um, I get it. You know, there's nothing in this world that's guaranteed. And some people may flip this and say, well, this is a, this is the exact reason why you shouldn't be playing, but nothing's guaranteed. And if you've got an opportunity to go in and help your team win a national championship, you know, who knows what happens the rest of your career, but if you have the ability to say that I was a national champion, I impacted the game, I helped my teammates, I fought back, I think that's priceless. And Agreed. I think that at later in your life, I don't care what your bank account looks like, I, I don't care that that is going to be something special that you look back on and you feel like is is one of the more important things that, that you've done. So I, I got nothing against it. Remember – Marquise Brown did kind of the same thing off of that Liz Frank injury. He tried to come back and Orange Bowl. Yeah, and it just it just wouldn't really work for him and and uh, Hell, he, he looked better than Waddle looked. I mean, yeah. Waddle yeah. looked awful. Yeah, I you know what? I credit and I think it's amazing at Alabama with all the talent that they've got that they had that many guys come back to play this season and go get a championship every and I, I think this is also amazing every recruit that Nick Saban's ever signed since he's been there has won a national championship and if what, as long six, as they have it six yeah. titles in 12 years now yeah. at Alabama seven total for Saban six and 12 as should, long as you have it transferred you've won a championship and to be able to get guys that want to come back and buy in to accomplish that, I think is amazing. Yeah. I mean, what, what he's done, there's no doubt he's the best college football coach ever in, in my mind. The sustained success, and, and I know the players he gets, but it, it's truly unbelievable. In, in today's day and age of college athletics, it's not like it was back in the 50s and 60s. I mean, there's, there's scholarship limits. There's all kinds of different things. And he just does it year after year after year. He loses coordinators. Doesn't matter. He does it again. 
what he does there should be studied, I think, because there, there's got to be some method to the madness. Now, obviously, having great players and being a great coach, but he, he calls it an organization, and that's exactly what it is, man. It's, it's beyond impressive what he's been able to accomplish. They win with details. They beat, they beat everyone with details. Yeah, you can look at Alabama and say, they just have more talent than everyone else. It's true, but they're, they're also more detail-oriented than everyone else, and that is one hell of a combination. Whenever you can get that amount of talent, you can get that amount of buy-in, you can get that amount of uh, high-level players that want to win and want to come back and be a part of that. I mean, there's a lot of places that have a lot of talent. And usually, whenever you start to get a whole bunch of talent, there turns into a whole bunch of ego around the locker room. And that doesn't look like a team that has an ego problem at all. Yeah, I, I think – and it you're – you're so right when it comes to the details with them. Like if you go to an Alabama practice and some people may not think that this matters, but if you go to an Alabama practice, every single guy looks the same. I mean, besides their body types and the jer- and the number they've got on their Jersey, they look the exact same socks, shorts, Jersey tape. They are a carbon copy of one another and it's because that's the rule. Like, hey, we all look the same in practice. And he does that with everything. How you're supposed to look in meetings. What you can they wear. travel in, in suit and tie. Everything. They all look the same. And it, it, it creates the sense of unity, right? But it also creates a sense that, hey, we, we are all equal here no one's better than anyone else. Uh, I don't care how highly high of a recruit you were. And I, I think a lot of coaches around the country have let that type of stuff slip, right? Trying to be player friendly. I agree. And I, I've made it, that point. It's like, I, and a lot of people may say it doesn't matter. And I, I may agree with you, but traveling in a suit and tie is, you know, there was a, a time not very long ago when everyone in college football traveled in nice attire. And then some coach along the way said, well, it's a little bit more comfortable for these guys. If we travel in warmups, it's, you know, they feel a little more comfortable on the plane. And then that started probably being something to recruit on. And I don't think Saban ever does anything because it's easier he does things because it's the right way to do them, and those details matter. We're never going to do anything just to make it easier on us. We're going to do things the right way, and I think all of those things. You can go to any small detail and say that it doesn't matter. Whenever you look at it all as one big picture, I think it does. Yeah. If I can't trust you to wear the right socks for practice, how can I trust you on third and nine in the national championship game. It's a drastic comparison, but if you look at it from the point of view of every detail matters, I think that's how Nick Saban looks at it. I do. And boy, he's got a lot of talent. Here's the thing (laughs) is he's also got the ability to enforce it. I mean, remember whenever, 
uh, Applewhite on the sideline tried to tell um, Ed Oliver. Uh, Ed Oliver that that's not. I, I don't remember what he was wearing or I don't remember he wasn't the playing in the game. Remember, he was wearing a big puffy jacket. It was supposed to be for the guys that were playing in the game or something. I don't know. But that's like. Uh, that's like that's the type of stuff we're talking about and you know that's supposed to be for the guys in the game i can't treat you different than i treat everyone else i mean that's that's the type of stuff that that we're talking about here yeah it's all in the details all right ted let's move on to some college football news that's brought to you by bishop mcginnis catholic high school bishop mcginnis catholic high school has a long tradition of educational excellence they know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020 with a 12 to one student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic high school or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, we got a couple of pieces of college football news. After his unsuccessful coup at Auburn, Kevin Steele was hired as an assistant at Tennessee, uh, played there, coached there before. Uh, will be interesting to see how big of an influence he has on that defense because he knows some damn defense. He's been one of the best defense coordinators in college football. Seems like a good landing spot, right? Yeah. Uh, if we know what, Tennessee is going to look like here coming up. I mean, right. um, as long as they make it out of this mess without getting hammered too hard. Um, yeah, I think it will be a good hire. Tennessee's it's the, it's the most fascinating situation I've seen. I, I thought that they were going to have a, a decent chance to turn things around this year. It blew up on them. They haven't had a quarterback there and I don't know how long that's going to like, if they can't get a quarterback, to play there and have, have some decent success. It's going to be the same thing all over again. Yeah. Okay. Steve Sarkeesian had his opening presser at Texas said all the right things, right? Got the fan base riled up. Uh, don't really care to talk about any of that, but I I've got to get your thoughts uh, on the, the saying the motto that he's going with all gas, no breaks. I'm not going to lie. I kind of love it. And I'm ashamed that I love it, but it's kind of awesome. Maybe it was the common project sneakers he was wearing coming off the plane. Maybe I, I'm being influenced by those because that's my favorite sneaker. Sarkeesian, well done, sir. But all gas, no brakes. You in or you out? Um, it's funny. <laughs> Whenever I hear all gas, no brakes, I think about my my brother. And I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about my brother. My brother is um, about as redneck as you could ever imagine. He's a mechanic. And all he ever talks about is if you're driving a semi or anything where you're pulling a big load, it's uh, it don't matter about the go if you ain't got the woe. You got to be able to slow down. You got to be able to stop whatever it is you're pulling. And that's all I think of it, with all gas, no brakes. All I could think of is um, no defense, all offense. This is going to end in uh, another disaster. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Your brother sounds like 
quite the philosopher. I like it. Don't matter about the go if you ain't got the woe. That's that's good. <laughs> I like that. Maybe maybe Sarkeesian will adopt that one. Uh college football hall of fame class of 2021 announced headliners are Carson Palmer, Tony Romo, Darren Sproles, uh, Aaron Taylor, and one Bob Stoops. Teddy, it is official. We played for a first ballot Hall of Famer. Pretty no damn deal. cool, man. It's yeah, pretty damn cool. No big deal. Play for a Hall of Fame coach. No big deal. Um, we knew it was going to happen. Uh, we're, wasn't sure when he was going to be uh, in, you know, in the first class. But uh, I think it's an awesome class. There's a bunch of bunch of great players in there. Uh, obviously, Coach Stoops, seeing him go in is going to be so cool. Looking forward to watching that ceremony. December, I believe. And um, awesome, well-deserved, uh, did some amazing things here. Uh, you know, we what we've seen of Oklahoma football over the last 20 years just does not happen. It doesn't happen. Um, the type of consistency this program has, has attained is unbelievable. And those who went through the 90s really appreciate how good it's been since. Um, obviously we want championships. We want more of them, but, uh, that, that run in 2000, man, is, it's the most special, uh, college football season I've ever seen, or I've ever been a part of and, uh, credit Bob Stoops for, for getting the, the beast back going again here at Oklahoma. Yeah. And we've got a 35, what it was about 35 minutes, Ted, it's 35 minutes of pure gold. I uh, we've got an interview with coach Stoops that'll be on Monday's episode. We've already recorded it. Uh, we wanted to, you know, kind of you know, hype it up for Monday. And I don't think I, I, I think it's the best interview he's ever done. I've heard it. I've heard hundreds of Bob Stoops interviews. I think it's the most relaxed and fun. And it was it was so much fun. So I, I can't wait for you guys to hear that on Monday. So be on the lookout for that long interview with first ballot Hall of Famer. First ballot Hall of Famer, Bob Stoops. Uh, one other piece of college football news in a shocking development, and I do mean shocking. The NCAA Division One Council has postponed voting on new name, image, and likeness and transfer rules. For college athletes, uh, the postponement has to do with Mark Emmert receiving a letter from the Department of Justice about possible antitrust violations. Oh, no, that that does not make the NCAA comfortable. So it does have a, a little bit to do with the turnover in Congress and the NCAA hoping a, a federal law gets passed, resulting in the rules being the same in every state. But I, I'm sure this will all get ironed out, Ted. I'm sure it will go smoothly. There's nothing to worry about here. Yeah, um, let me tell you something. If you are waiting on something to happen at the federal level before you make a movement at the NCAA level, kiss it goodbye because nothing ever happens at a decent pace at the federal level. Nothing ever. So I I don't know what's going to happen with this. I mean... Doesn't the DOJ have something else to worry about? I mean, a lot going on right now. 
There's a lot, a lot going, going on. on. That's why I'm saying that you want to talk about being at the, the bottom of the pile whenever it comes to important things going on right now. I, I don't even know when the next time this is going to be even discussed, much less taken up as a, a an actual uh, topic to, in in Congress. It's I don't know. I I have no idea on timetable now. Yeah, I got no clue, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath for that. I will say this. Florida's law goes into effect in July, and those weirdos in Florida, they ain't changing their mind. They're going to roll. Right. <laughs> what, yeah. what was it? You, you got to go and whoa. What was the saying? It don't That's matter Florida. about the go if you ain't got the whoa. That's what Florida's going to be saying to the NCAA. Okay, let's <laughs> move on to our winners and losers of the week. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Nice. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, my winner of the week, you know, having the coronavirus and being stuck upstairs. Um, oh, yeah. If you guys didn't know, Teddy, Teddy's got the COVID. That's why I'm up here. He's in got the, the Rona. In He's got the cocoa. Um, everything sucks, but it has given me the ability to go back and watch some old movies. And one of the movies I watched was Major League. Oh, and yes. My winner of the week is Urban Meyer because he reminds me of the manager working in the tire shop and Charlie <laughs> calls him and says, Lou, how would you like to manage the Cleveland Indians? Oh, I don't know. What do you mean? I'm asking you to be a manager of a major league baseball team. I've got another guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll talk to you later. It's the same thing with Urban Meyer right now. You know, it looked like he was ready to go to Jacksonville, and now all of a sudden he's got some other options. It's like, ah, you know, the Chargers called, and I got to tell you, there's some pretty interesting things going on there with Justin Herbert. I kind of like what I see. Plus, LA's not a bad place to live. I've been out here on the West Coast doing the the Fox stuff. Urban Meyer right now is in the perfect seat. He can he can name his price and he can pick where he wants to go and there's a bunch of different options open right now. So, you know, I don't know ultimately if someone's going to hit the number that he wants, but the dude's in a great position and whether it's L.A. with the young Justin Herbert, who I think is going to be excellent, or Jacksonville with the first overall pick. Tons of picks in this and upcoming drafts in $75 million in cap space, more than anyone in the NFL. Urban Meyer is in a good position to, to take the perfect job that he wants. The, the only issue that I think – oh, okay. Well, he'll have lots of issue if he takes a head coaching job in the National Football League, but – he has coached at places where people love football. Mm-hmm. I mean, love it. No one gives a shit about the Chargers in L.A. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I mean, they hardly even care about the Rams. 
but they certainly care less about the Chargers than the Rams. And then Jacksonville, Teddy, you've been there. Not not a hotbed for football. I mean, it's just not. Well, here's the difference about Jacksonville. Jacksonville is it's that's football territory. Right. If you're good, they'll show up there, in my opinion, especially if you've got like a a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. But you're right. Traditionally, not a a mass massive fan base there. That's why they put the swimming pool in, because that was going to pull in all the fans, Gabe. And that's why they go play a game in London every year. <laughs> At least All right, who one. do you have as your loser of the week? The loser of the week is the NBA. Now, we've all seen James Harden has now been traded to the Brooklyn Nets. And he wanted out of Houston. Um, that situation, he said, was um, you can't save it. I've tried everything. We're not we're not good enough. I just this situation is has been created by massive contracts for guys that are totally guaranteed and the team is helpless against it. I just cannot imagine a guy making 41 million dollars showing up fat as hell, out of shape, talking crap about his teammates and his, uh, his coaching staff and his uh, upper management. The guy's making $41 million. And, what and, they, is, and they've built everything around him. Right. Like they failed everything. because of him. Right. And all, all this is done, th- these massive, huge contracts – the amount of apathy in the NBA with some of these guys is shocking. Kyrie Irving uh, going around spreading incense or whatever it is around the sage. The, it's the sage, sage, Ted, in the sage. gym. And James Harden doesn't care. Maybe I'll show up and play half-assed, but you're going to pay me $41 million. Someone's going to pay him $41 million, not just this year, but next year, the year after, and the year after that, $41 million a year. He doesn't care about anything, and it shows. And in my opinion, it gives the NBA a horrible name, and it makes them look bad right now with the players acting the way they are. But that's what happens whenever you get these massive contracts that are totally, fully guaranteed for the entire tenure of the, of the contract. It's the disaster. I, I would rather pile $41 million up into a, a big barrel and burn it, light it on fire, than I would give it to James Harden. He's going to get in shape. Watch. Just watch. He's, Durant is going he's gonna to get in oh. shape, and he's going to look great, and you're going to be miserable watching him he's, because they're going to win the East, and we're all going to get go, hurt Ugh. before he ever gets in shape. There's <laughs> they may no just way. sit him for a couple weeks and be like, hey, man, we need you to work out and just get into like, just run, just run around. James. I would say, I don't know how much he weighs right now, but I would throw out a number like two fifteen, and be like, we are fining the shit out of you until you get to two fifteen. This is your weight. And until you get there, we're hitting you every day for like 40 grand. So I, I just, it's, I will it's say this shameful. 
Fat Harden can still get buckets, though. I mean, he's still damn he hit good. that step back three. <laughs> he's still good. The way he looked in those warmups, though, the other night. Oh my god! Did you hear the guy? I think it was they were playing like the Grizzlies or something. He was on the local broadcast, and he was like, "Well, James Harden, he ate a pregame meal." <laughs> It's amazing. It was great. He seriously looks like a 40-year-old man at Lifetime Fitness playing playing oh, basketball. He's so rich. It's so good at basketball. Good for him. All right, my winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite po- football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and cable boxes so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my Wi-Fi has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. Okay, my winner of the week, I thought about going with Aaron Donald because Sean McVay called him the Terminator, and that is such a badass and accurate nickname for that guy. I also thought about going with James Harden because as much fun as we want to poke at the guy, he got exactly what we want, what he wanted, right? I yep. mean, he, he got where he wanted to go. He's a Brooklyn net, but my winner of the week, it has to be college basketball fans in the state of Oklahoma. OU absolutely destroys TCU. Davion Harmon looking really good in that one. Hopefully, the contact tracing thing with Brady Manick can get figured out soon. But then you look at Oklahoma State. They gave up a big lead, but they still ended up beating Kansas. That is always a big deal. Cade Cunningham continues to be one of the most fun players in the country to watch. You have those two games happen, and that sets up Bedlam on Saturday in Stillwater, Ted. I know that it's not the same. I know Galagariba's not going to be rocking like it normally is. But Bedlam basketball is still fun, man. And both of these teams coming off some some big-time performances. No, I think it's huge. And I can officially start watching college basketball now that uh, college football is over. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, Kate Cunningham is as good as advertised. Have we heard anything on whether or not they're going to be able to play in the postseason yet? I, I haven't heard an update. Remember they were like, they were, they were talking it about it like that, early. It, it was going to happen. And it just disappeared. I'm just assuming cause they're like in the top 25 and everything. Right. So, or they're going to be, I just assume that they're going to be allowed to play in the NCAA tournament and they better be. I've want to watch Cade Cunningham play in the NCAA tournament. Damn it. Everyone does. And I want to watch him in the big 12 tournament. If the big 12 tournament happens, I don't know if you saw that news out of Kansas city, not looking good. What happened? They extended some ordinance to like may. So I I don't think that the big 12 basketball, let's go. That's what my initial thought was. I bet. Kevin Stitt has already called the Big 12. Like, that thing's ended <laughs> up in Chesapeake. No, that's uh, – I, I hope that they get to play postseason. I thought the band was ridiculous. And let's be honest, everyone wants to watch who might be the number one overall pick. And the NCAA, after not having a tournament last year, needs all eyes on the tourney, and they need stars. 
Yeah, that, there's no doubt about it. Okay, my loser of the week. I had two, but you kind of hit on the NBA one. I, I, I do want to add this, though. Ted, whoever is in charge of making sure the NBA players follow the new stricter protocols that just got put in place, that's the loser of the week because that sounds like the most miserable. You have to be the guy that's in charge of making sure NBA players have no guests in their hotel room on the road. That yeah. that sounds like a dangerous spot to be in. And some of those restrictions, man, it's it's intense. And you heard George Hill talk about it like, hey, if it's that serious, then why are we playing? I think he was, you know, genuinely asking, but like they if you're you know, like your housekeeper comes to your house uh, once or twice a week, they have to get t- tested like twice a week to come to your house. Like the, the, the NBA is not playing around. They want to get these games played. So yeah, that person, I, I, I don't want that job. Can you imagine? Um, excuse me, George, we've been looking at your social media and noticed that uh, the third person from the right in this photo did not have a mask on, so we're going to go ahead and fine you $20,000, okay? I mean, can you imagine, like, sifting well, through all everyone's social media? Every Like, I don't know. Not even crazy. that. Like, someone now has to make sure all the guys are wearing their masks on the bench. Someone has to make sure that the guys are wearing their masks in the locker room and keep track of how much time they're spending in the locker room. Like they have to keep track of what they're doing when they're at their like personal residences. Like, yeah, that sounds like an awful job to where you end up making a very large athlete, very angry at you. <laughs> it just it sounds like a bad circumstance for whoever, for each. I, I, I know they probably have like a chief COVID officer or something, but <laughs> they better, they better give them a raise. Every team better give those dudes a raise. Now, Teddy, my loser of the week. Have you heard this story about this guy named, I don't know if it's Stefan or Stefan. I'm going to go with Stefan because I like how that sounds better. But Stefan Thomas and his Bitcoin account. Have you heard this? I have. Yes. Okay. So you can chime in and, and make sure I don't mess this up. But Stefan Thomas is, uh, I believe he's German living in San Francisco, something like that. He has a digital wallet that has 7,002 Bitcoin in it. As of today, I looked up the price of Bitcoin as it was going today as we're recording this. That digital wallet is worth around $244 million. The only problem for our man, Stefan, is he wrote down the password for the account 10 years ago. And he can't find it. And this account, you get 10 attempts at the password. He has used eight. He has two password attempts left for $244 million, approximately. You know, Bitcoin, you know, kind of volatile at times. Oh, my God. The amount of anxiety just reading this story caused me. And the guy's like, chill about it. He's like, yeah, I mean, I, what the hell? I mean, it's a password. Remember your password. Well, uh, I've got good news for Stefan. All he has to do 
is wait around for a little bit longer and his 7,000 Bitcoin will be worth zero because (laughs) until you can go buy a tank of gas with your Bitcoin or buy a loaf of bread with your Bitcoin, in my opinion, it is still worthless because we're still saying it's worth $244 million. Well, you got to turn it into dollars before you can buy anything with it. So I, I believe this is just a fad and it's going to pass, but here's a good reason not to have your currency in Bitcoin. If you forget your password, you don't get your cash ever again. So I don't know. I honestly, I don't feel bad for the guy, you know, $244 million. And he's like, ah, yeah, well, I don't know what I did with it. No big deal. I mean, that makes me want to punch the guy, right? Just that alone. I just want to slap him. I do. And I think he got the Bitcoin for like making a video about how Bitcoin works, like the blockchain and everything. I was like, yeah, they paid him in Bitcoin. They paid him 7,000 Bitcoin back whenever that's how, how valuable they thought it was. They gave him 7,000 of them for, for doing a video, you know, man causes me some stress. All right. Let's get you guys the Joe Thomas interview. And this interview's brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. It is our pleasure to be joined by a future NFL Hall of Famer. He also possesses the physique that all former offensive linemen desire and aspire to. (laughs) I knew you'd like that one. What's up, man? Oh, what is going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. And uh, what a beautiful time to be talking Browns football. This is a little bit uncomfortable for me. You know, I'm, I'm used to being on vacation by now and not even thinking about the NFL, but shit, we got the Browns playing the chiefs in the divisional round of the playoffs. Pure joy. Yes. Now we'll get there, but before we talk about this weekend, let's look back at last weekend. Now I saw some of your reactions on your wife's Instagram. Uh, (laughs) Me me and my wife were dying watching them, but just how crazy was that game, especially the start of that game? Uh, just an unusual football mm. game, the way that it unfolded, right? The Browns go mm. on the road in the playoffs and beat the mm. shit out of the Steelers. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was epic. Uh, the first five minutes of the game, they scored, what, 21 points or something? And Annie was actually putting the kids to bed, and I was, like, glued to the TV. And she was like, just wait for me. But, I, of course, can't wait. You know, you got to watch – Big time games in live action, like you Who can't DVR that stuff. Like that too. Yeah, um, exactly. So she comes in like five minutes after the game started, and she's thinking it's going to be probably zero zero or maybe three zero, and it's twenty one zero Browns, and I can't even 
formulate words. I'm just like pointing at the screen, like, <laughs> like I've seen a ghost. And uh, after the first quarter, I think I tweeted out, like, at this pace, the Browns are going to win 112 to zero. <laughs> and it still makes me laugh just thinking about the fact that they scored 28 points in the first quarter of a wild card playoff game. What's even crazier, though, is, I mean, obviously the way the game unfolded was nuts, but, I mean, you played a million football games. Can you imagine going into a playoff game without your head coach, with a guy on your offensive line you haven't even met in person, (laughs) uh, missing players in the secondary, just all of the things surrounding? I know this is a crazy year, and we halfway expect that type of stuff, but just put into perspective how crazy that is to go into a playoff game that way. Yeah. Uh, not having your head coach. Okay. That's probably a big deal. Um, not having your offensive coordinator. That's an even bigger deal. Like if there was two coaches that I wouldn't ever want to miss, it'd be my offensive and defensive coordinators, because those are the guys that have the most impact on what happens on game day. But after that, it'd be your head coach. And then probably fourth would be my offensive line coaches because you know, on the offensive line, there's, there's five guys that you're coaching and, there, there's the most number of things that can change within a game when scheme changes or your technique changes based on how the defense is playing you. And the Browns were without all of those guys. They were without both of their offensive line coaches and they were without their Pro Bowl uh, and All-Pro left guard Joel Batonio, um, not to mention some other guys that were really key and important. But it was just remarkable. Uh, on top of all that, they didn't get to practice until they did a walkthrough like Friday night. So like the whole week leading up to the biggest game the Browns have had in two decades, they basically had no practice and no meetings except for a few Zoom calls where I'm sure most guys were like uh, probably on their phone on Instagram, you know, checking out Gabe Eichert's new physique. But uh, it's just remarkable all the number of things that were against him. It almost became comical. And then for them to still go out and stomp on the Steelers the way they did. I think that's probably why Browns fans like myself really enjoyed it as much as we did. Now, it set up, it was set up horribly for the Browns, right? But it also kind of set up to be the perfect game for You're Baker exactly Mayfield. right. The perfect game. Yeah, like and the you chip, know more than anyone would about that. The chip on the shoulder game for him. And I, I'm sure he leaned into that like he always does. And he played well, man. Completely oh, outplayed Roethlisberger. I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't even close. But how impressed were you, uh, the way he played in his first playoff start. Yeah, I thought he played outstanding. And, you know, it wasn't one of those games where he had to lead the team back, but he made some incredible throws at the right moments in the games. He was locked in with his decision-making from the first play until the last play. He even had to convert a couple third downs with his legs where he had to put his shoulder down and go through some of those Steelers defenders. And so he was fantastic. But it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, people that have been around Baker or um, people that, you know, saw him at Oklahoma like you guys did realize that, like, when all the chips or all the cards are stacked against him, that's when he seems to rise to the occasion the most. Like he relishes in those moments. And when you have a, a quarterback that's like that, a lot of times your team kind of takes on that personality just, just as much. And when Juju during the week said those things about the Browns where, you know, basically the Browns is the Browns. They're still the same crappy team that we've beaten for the last two decades. And this is going to be easy again. Now I'm translating it, but that's exactly what he meant. <laughs> as soon as he said that, I go, Oh, 
oh, it's over. The Browns are going to smash him because that's exactly the type of chip on their shoulder that they need. They need all these things to be stacked against them for the Steelers to overlook them a little bit, but them also to be able to rally together like that. And you heard it after the game, right? Those guys couldn't wait to get in the locker room and say some of those things and dance the Corvette Corvette and rub it in their face like the, the dog that just pooped on the rug and they took their nose and just rubbed it all in it. It was just so glorious. It's, you know, it's amazing that after all these years, listening to coaches tell their players not to give the other team uh, bulletin board material, we still see it pretty much week after week. Now, the game, it wasn't all smooth sailing. There was a moment there where it started to get a little bit hairy into the third quarter, early fourth quarter. Uh, the Steelers started to make a little bit of a run there. And, you know, and Collinsworth said it in the broadcast, and I, I agreed with it at the time. They didn't go for it there on that that fourth and one. How were you feeling at that moment in the game? Did you feel like maybe they were starting to tighten up a little bit? Mm-hmm. Well, Browns fans throughout the, the globe have been heartbroken so many times by this team. Going back to the 80s when they went to three straight AFC championship games, they lost in dramatic fashion to John Elway. Um, with the drive and the fumble and all these moments that I wasn't a Browns fan, obviously, because I was born in 84 and I grew up in Wisconsin. So it it wasn't until I moved to Cleveland that I learned about all these things. And I learned about how many times the team has felt like, yeah, this is our year or yep, we're going to the Super Bowl and only to have it snatched from them. So I've sort of taken on that uh, mentality of like, it's not over till it's over. So be careful. But also there's a little party that goes, all right, when are they going to let me down again? And so you knew the Steelers were going to make a little bit of a run and you were kind of protecting your fragile heart a little bit during that game. Cause you're like, the only thing that would be worse than just losing to the Steelers in the wild card of a playoff game would be to go up 28 zero in the first quarter and then losing to the Steelers. And so uh, I think everybody that was in uh, the dog pound nation was sort of protecting their heart a little bit, just waiting for the Steelers to kind of creep back. But got to give the Browns credit, man. They, they broke that rearview mirror off, and they're not looking behind them at old Browns teams. This is a new Browns team, and they said, we're, we're not going to break the hearts anymore. We're going to go, and we're going to finish it, uh, finish what we started. It was awesome to see. Okay, Joe, you and I played in Cleveland together, and you're one of, if not the best player in the history of the organization – what are your emotions now that the Browns are good? Like, mm. because you put so much time and effort into it, but you're, you're also one of the most selfless teammates I ever had, but like a small part of you has to be like, really now we're good. Like I was playing there for forever. Oh, and now we're good. Like a little angry, a yeah. little jealous. Like it, it has to just be kind of a mix, right? There's no doubt like doing interviews and having people ask me about it. Uh, I'm like, well, we, we finally found the reason why the Browns sucked for 11 years. And it was me because <laughs> I go and leave and now they're really freaking good. Um, but no, it's, it's funny. Like when I retired, I, I was, um, I felt like I I did a good job of like, when I crossed that threshold, there was no looking back. It was like my Rubicon where I never thought of myself as a player anymore once I decided to hang up the cleats. And so I've been all fan. When I was a player, I was a hundred percent player. And then now I'm a hundred percent fan. And so I feel like I can enjoy this. I can have that emotion. I can have that uh, goofy feeling when the game's going on where I'm getting too high and too low, all those things that I wouldn't allow myself to have when I was a player. Um, But definitely when I talk to my guys that are still on the team, like Joel Batonio and JC Treader, and like you hear about how much fun they're having, I'm like, ah, 
Yeah, that would be kind of fun. I imagine that's probably a lot of fun playing in the playoffs, isn't it? Well, hey, maybe start eating a bunch. Get ready. Yeah. There's no telling who who's going to get uh, COVID next. You could be on that uh. that short list to call in, which you know, I I don't necessarily know that it's over yet. They're going to Kansas City, and I you know everyone's picking the the Chiefs, and this is the 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 Super Bowl favorite by far. But I'll tell you what. The defense that they're playing and the way they run the ball, you got a chance no matter who you play, in my opinion. Yeah, there's no doubt. The NFL playoffs is great. Um, To me, it's like the NCAA basketball tournament, right? Everybody loves it because upsets happen all the time. It's single elimination. And you you really is – once you're there, everybody's got a chance. I don't care how you got there. There's been a lot of teams that sort of snuck into the playoffs, went on big runs from a wild card position and won the Super Bowl. And I think you, you're, you hit the nail on the head, like in the Super Bowl, if, if, or excuse me, in the playoffs, if you can run the ball, you can control the clock. And that's everything, especially when you're going against a potent offense like Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they haven't blown people out. If you've watched their games this year, like they've, they've won – confidently but it's not like they're winning by 21 28 points and I think for the Browns the big advantage they have is is their rushing attack and the fact that the Chiefs always are kind of keeping it close they're letting teams hang around um so I, the way I see the game uh kind of shaking out from a Browns fan perspective is second half it's close you score a touchdown you're right there all of a sudden now you're a clock watcher when you have the ball on offense you're just getting those little four or five yard runs. You're getting exactly what you need to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, but work your way down the field so that now at the end of the game, if you need three points, you're trying to get those three or you're trying to get that seven as the clock is expiring. Because we all, I think we're pretty confident that like if you score and there's a minute left and Patrick Mahomes has a chance, he's going to get what he needs. And that's what you don't want. But being able to run the ball against the Chiefs defense, which I think it's a legitimate opportunity. Um, I think that's sort of like, the kryptonite and how you beat the chiefs is keeping Patrick on the sideline. Joe, they, the, the chiefs, it's not like they run it a lot. Uh, I no. mean, it's not like the run game is a huge part of what they do. So a, as you've watched that offense and all the explosive playmakers and Travis Kelsey, who is, you know, one of the best at what he does. And then of course you've got Tyreek Hill and all the speed they have at wide out. Like, what do you think the best way, to contain that offense is for the Browns? Is it simple as, hey, Miles Garrett has to get after Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes the entire football game? Or what do you think the best way is to kind of contain yeah. what they do offensively? I mean, you're going to just try to limit them. I think uh, Patrick Mahomes is fantastic against the Blitz. He's so good at avoiding Blitz. Uh, he's so good within that Andy Reid West Coast offense of understanding where his hots are. Um, and he's also so good at escaping. Like if you send pressure and there's an extra guy, he's athletic enough where he can get outside the pocket. And now you're fucked because he's got one-on-one with all those speedsters on the outside and your dudes can't hang on one-on-one. I don't care who you have on defense. Patrick can find them wherever he is on the field, wherever they are on the field. That's why nobody blitzes them because they just get torched. And so what you have to do is just have a really controlled four-man rush where you're just trying to constrict the pocket and you're making sure you're deeper than the deepest and you force Patrick to take those check downs, right? You don't want to give him Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field all day, but force him to throw those short passes, see how much patience he has. And you got to hope that you're going to be able to get a turnover somewhere along the line and you can win that turnover battle. 
Um, offensively, you can't turn the ball over. You give Patrick Mahomes extra possessions, it's a wrap, lights out. They're not going to be able to win that game. But I think that formula is protect the ball on offense, make Patrick Mahomes try to be patient when he's on offense by throwing short passes, and then just hope he doesn't just throw the ball, throw cannons over your head five times in the game. You know, I, I think there's there's always something to be said about a team like you mentioned earlier in the NFL playoffs that gets hot at the right time, like the Giants did a couple of times back in the day. Um, And it feels like Cleveland, after that big win, uh, kind of the things they've had to fight through maybe in that boat. But how about Kansas City? What do you think about the the rest versus rust deal, whenever you've got to buy in the playoffs and everyone else has already played? um, You know, you, you can't you can't replicate the intensity of a playoff game until you're in it. The Browns have already been in that fire. Is that maybe an advantage mm-hmm. going into this game? Yeah, I think for the Browns, it is an advantage because if, if you look the last game of the chief season against the chargers, they lost uh, 38 to 21 and they didn't really play a lot of guys and they kind of rested people. So really it's been a couple weeks since the chief starters have been all in with a full game plan, given it all they got. Um, now, Andy Reid's been really good coming out of buys throughout his career because I think he understands the right way to handle bye weeks. They do the right things in practice to kind of simulate a game. Um, they get that game speed reps. So it's not just total rest. Um, but I think in this case, the Browns are pretty hot right now. They're feeling themselves. And the Chiefs, they haven't been in a competitive environment in a couple of weeks. And I think especially early on in the game, that first half, that's where you really see it, where those Chiefs are trying to get – their brains up to working at NFL speed, especially playoff speed, which is another level. Um, And the Browns could have a chance to kind of jump on them a little bit early. So there's a lot of talk about this game being Baker versus Mahomes, right? A lot of references to that shootout between OU and Texas tech that they had in college. What does Baker need to do to avoid kind of getting wrapped up in that, right? Where he, he feels like he's got to go throw for throw, with Mahomes yeah. because th- that seems like that would get the Browns out of what they would want to do offensively. Yeah. You don't want to do that because anybody that tries to go throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes, you know, as good as Baker's been playing uh, you're going to lose that battle because the chiefs has too many weapons. And eventually if you get an extra five possessions on both sides, like they're going to turn a lot of those into touchdowns, especially when they get into that rhythm. That's why that offense is so dangerous so you want to be able to control that with a lot of runs. And I think that's up to the offensive coordinator to make sure he's calling friendly throws. Like, cause you don't just want to only run it, but you want to have friendly throws where it's built in, where it's like, Hey, touchdown or take the easy throw. And I think that's what you want to build into the game plan um, so that you can kind of reflect back on that hit, maybe some of those play action calls. Um, and so you're doing a good job of kind of mixing it up, but you're not giving Baker too much to think about where he feels like every play has to be that deep touchdown pass. Yeah. I feel like that's why Baker's had such a good year. Stefanski understands that a lot. He kind of protects Baker from himself a little bit there. Um, I, this matchup, Gabe, you referenced the, the OU Texas tech matchup. It's just, it's fascinating to me right now. Like you look at these two games in the AFC right now, you've got Mahomes, Baker, Allen and Lamar Jackson. I mean, that youth right now in the AFC, I mean, this could be 
we're we're maybe looking at the playoffs over the next 10 years like these matchups like you know could be a little bit different every year but these four guys I feel like are going to be around for a while yeah it's crazy because I don't know part of this is being that the Browns are in the playoffs so I'm just so like solar singularly focused on what's going on with the Browns but the other playoff games in the NFC just didn't excite me I mean I turned them on I was watching them and I felt like it's just kind of getting a little stale in my mind watching Brady and Breeze and kind of the same cast of characters on the NFC side, but the AFC side, it's like, man, there's all these young guns that are exciting. They're um, dual threat. They're uh, throwing on the move. They're making off schedule plays. They're these big explosive dynamic offenses. Um, and it's just funny to think that for so long in the NFL, there was this generation of quarterbacks where it was Manning, uh, Breeze, um, Phillip Rivers, um, Brady, and Aaron Rodgers, who was all these same generation of maybe like a five to seven year stretch. And then there was this big gap where we didn't have a lot of great quarterbacks for some reason being developed in the NFL. All those first round guys ended up being, for the most part, like not busts, but they didn't turn out to be great players. And then in the last couple of years, it's like the NFL game is totally switched and we've just got this incredible run of great quarterbacks that have come out of the NFL and had incredible success early on in their careers. Yeah. That other AFC matchup is going to be fun. You look at Baltimore going to Buffalo, Joe, a lot of people look at the bills as maybe the team to beat. You know, I I know that the chiefs, they're the defending champions until they're not, but with the way that the bills have figured things out offensively, with what Stephon Diggs is doing, with what Beasley is doing, with the way that Josh Allen is playing, like, what do you see with the Bills? Because they've been they've been pretty dang impressive. Yeah, well, uh, Josh Allen and that offense has played really well all season long. I mean, they're running the football well. Josh Allen is playing MVP plus caliber, and I think he probably, if it weren't for a couple of guys named Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. He would be the MVP of the league. And and I know it's easy to say, well, if it weren't for those guys, but like what we're seeing from Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers is generational. Like they would be MVP in almost any year of the NFL. Um, and Josh Allen, if it weren't for those two guys, you go go to any other season in the NFL history, and he is right there with how he's playing. He's making so many plays on third down, getting outside the pocket, throwing it making plays with his feet. He's such a dynamic weapon. He's so hard to control um, from a defensive standpoint. And that defense for the Bills is pretty stingy. I mean, they play really great coverage in the secondary. They play a lot of zone. Uh, They can get after the quarterback. And you put together a team, like a true team that has complimentary football like the Bills, and they're tough to beat, especially when they get hot like they are right now. You think this is Aaron Rodgers' last good shot? I mean – He's playing at a phenomenal level. There's no reason to believe that he would fall off next year. But, gosh, they've been brutalized by injury. You know, whenever he went – what year was it? Was it 07? Whenever he went and won a Super Bowl, it seemed like, oh, he's going to rip off, you know, five Mm -hmm. more. And Mm -hmm. here we are this far down the road. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get it all to lay down in a line and have a real good shot at it. You feel like – I mean, not just Rodgers, maybe Breeze and Brady too – on that NFC side, is is this kind of a fight for those guys at the the last shot at a title here? Well, I definitely think that this is probably Drew Brees' last season. Um, I think Brady probably will have a couple more. He seems to have found the fountain of youth. Who, and, you know, if you had a nickel for every time you heard somebody say that, but he's playing good ball and he doesn't look 
old, right? Like you watch Breeze at times, you're like, he kind of looks a little old. Maybe the arm's not there. He's, it doesn't love getting hit anymore. You know, he's kind of like my grandpa, like he fell down and he broke 12 ribs. Like who does that? And, and what NFL player breaks 12? Like I've heard of a couple broken ribs, but um, you're going, okay, he's getting frail to that level where you could expect that he's probably going to step away um, pretty soon. But I, I think Aaron Rodgers, I mean, the way he's playing, obviously is great. And um, being that they made the NFC championship last year, I, there's going to be a lot of question and conversation, especially with what happened in Dallas this year about like, maybe Mike McCarthy was really the one that was holding Aaron Rodgers back. And I think the criticism of, Hey, why didn't Aaron Rodgers win more Super Bowls? Um, the, that criticism might start getting heaped a little bit more in Mike McCarthy's favor, especially with what Aaron Rodgers has done with a, a, a new coach in green Bay the last couple of years. Yeah. Looking at that game, you got to feel really good about the Packers' chances with the Rams having to go to Lambeau, right? Cold weather for Jared Goff with a surgically repaired thumb doesn't seem like <laughs> I don't a good, understand that <laughs> a a good set of circumstances. And also, we don't really know how healthy Aaron Donald is. I know that Sean McVay called him the Terminator today, and that's pretty damn accurate. But if he's not his normal self, Joe, then I, I really don't see he, as good as the Rams defense has played lately. I, I don't really see them being able to slow Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and that group offensively down enough to go there and win. I just don't see that happening for the Rams. No, you're right. I mean, the big reason the Rams were able to slow down Russell Wilson and teams throughout the entire season um, the Rams got the number one defense in the NFL. It's because of that guy they have in the middle of that defense. I mean, he's, in my opinion, I'm not a guy that's watched film from the fifties and the sixties, but I think Aaron Rodgers is the best defensive tackle that's ever played in the game. I played against him a few times in my career, even when he was a little bit younger and I didn't really have a ton of respect for him because I didn't know who he was his rookie year until I played him. I was like, damn, that dude's unbelievable. Like the size he is to have the power he has is that's it does, it's not fair. It's the crazy. That's the craziest part about. He's I'll never small. forget. He's two eighty. Like he's if I small, see a two eighty like, defensive tackle, I'm licking my chops. I'm gonna kick your ass. I I had watched I played against him in the Senior Bowl, and I had watched the film of it, and he was just murdering guys. And I was like, what in the world? And then we went out on the game field, and I was like, dude, what? Like if if <laughs> I hadn't down. seen that film, right. I would have been like, oh, this is gonna be great. Yeah. This is gonna be Why it's not? it's unreal, dude. It doesn't make sense. It's like the beginning of the Browns game last week and I was watching what I saw and I was pretty sure I was not that drunk where I was like hallucinating. But at the same time, I don't believe what my eyes are telling me because the man is a small human being. Now with the shirt off, he looks cut like a bodybuilder, but like a 280 pound defensive tackle at 6'1 or 6'2 should get manhandled, but he does the manhandling like he's 340. Like the way Ndamukong Sue when he was younger would just push people back and power people like Aaron Donald does that and some, and Oh, by the way, he's super quick. Like in Dominican soon, never beat anybody with quickness. He would just kind of like move you and you couldn't stop him because he was so strong. Aaron Donald does that, but with a four, eight 40 behind it and elite level, like receiver type quickness, it's, it's really not fair. And so having him in the middle of that defense is, it reminds me of like, what beat the Patriots the year they went 19 and 0 and then they lost in the Super Bowl? It was fast pressure up the middle because that's the one thing as a quarterback that you can't really handle. You can't really 
put more than two a guard and a center on a guy that's lining up over at the nose. Like, I don't know, maybe you could put another fullback in the backfield and try to go three on one, but like, it's impossible to stop that. And when you're on the outside, it's a lot easier to stop, but Aaron Donald just pushes the pocket and he makes guys miss on the inside and he makes quarterbacks so uncomfortable um, that he single-handedly changes the game from the inside out. Yeah, it's man, it's the inside pass rush. There's nowhere for the quarterback to go either. You know, they can't, you get, they can't get out of there fast enough. Yeah, um, you, to the to the Browns pass rush. Have, have you you liked what you've seen this year? I mean, it seems like uh, it's been a little spotty. They've gotten hot a couple of times where they're all over quarterbacks, and then it's kind of disappeared at times. You feel good about you know them being able to get after Mahomes a little bit. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't think they're going to blitz much. Miles Garrett, um, was fantastic all season long. He got COVID and he'd talked a lot about how much that affected him and affected his wind. And, and I think probably his maximum power output, like, cause anytime you don't have that, like maximum cardiovascular, like you just, your body's not transporting enough oxygen to be able to do repeat power exercises, right? You don't get fresh in between plays. Um, and so while he's still playing at a great level, he's not, he doesn't look like the guy that we saw earlier in the season. So he hasn't had as much impact on the game the last few weeks he's been back. Um, but he still had some good pressure. And I think the big loss is that Olivier Vernon for the Browns, the other defensive end had really come on and he was really starting to play like the guy that was in New York that got the huge contract because of all the sacks and the tackles for a loss. And then he, he got a, a season ending injury. So the, they've been a little bit more inconsistent rushing the passer since Vernon got out. Um, but Larry Hogan, Joby's done a nice job up the middle. Um, Sheldon Richardson's done a pretty nice job. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to be the game as much like I talked about earlier. I think it's just constrict the pocket, try to get bodies in Patrick Mahomes' way and towards his feet and maybe just make him a little bit uncomfortable and see if he's willing to have that patience to just take those checkdowns down the field. Now, looking at that, Buffalo Baltimore matchup. And I, I know it's, it's never, it, it can't be easy to go win a playoff game in Buffalo, but what have you seen from Lamar Jackson? It, it felt like almost a weight was lifted off his shoulders last week, getting that playoff win, doing it mm-hmm. in comeback fashion mm-hmm. and having some just absolutely spectacular individual plays. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe takes him to another level in this game? Well, they're, they're another team that's gotten hot. They uh, were hit with a really bad COVID outbreak in Baltimore about the last third of the season uh, where they shut down the facility. Those guys didn't do anything for like two weeks or something crazy. Um, and I and they came back and it seemed like sometimes adversity has a way of like bringing your team together. And, uh, you know, I was never on any good football teams in the NFL, but maybe you guys can tell me what that's like. But like they went through that adversity And I think at that point they were kind of searching for an identity and it seemed like um, having that COVID outbreak, not having those practices, all of a sudden that team got closer and they found like an identity because they started rushing the football again, like they had the year before when they were, I think 14 and two and Lamar Jackson was setting the world on fire with his legs and they started playing more physical on defense. And that's always been the formula um, for Baltimore uh, run the ball, play great defense, play stingy, hard-nosed defense. And they've gotten back to that in recent weeks. And it's shown because they've been on a huge run. They won their last eight games. And then in, in 
they're going to be tough to beat because anybody that plays really good defense and can run the ball in the playoffs, that's like the formula to beat anybody and to beat them anywhere. It doesn't matter how cold it is or how warm it is. You do those two things, like you're a bad matchup for anybody. Uh, only game we really haven't talked about, we got Tampa Bay, New Orleans, right? And everyone talking about Brady versus Breeze, but this game to me, it, it kind of comes down to, you know, which defense shows up and plays the best because I, I do I do think both of these teams' defenses, especially defensive lines, can play at a really high level. How do you kind of see that one shaking out, Joe? Well, I, I said before, like, that watching New Orleans and their game and watching Tampa Bay, like, I wanted to have passion about them, but I just – there was not a lot that got me excited. Now, the Saints' defense has been really good all season, uh, except in the red zone. Their, their red zone defense kind of stinks. Um, but offensively, I, I want to see more consistency from the Saints' offense in the passing game specifically. You know, Drew Brees is back now. He's been a little bit shaky since he's come back. Um, but if I told you they had the 19th passing offense in the NFL, I think you'd probably be a little surprised because forever the Saints and Sean Payton and Drew Brees have been known as this prolific passing attack. Um, but but I think when you look at uh, the Buccaneers' defense, if they're able to get some pressure on Drew Brees, they can make him really uncomfortable. And I actually think that the Buccaneers are going to walk out of there with a win in this game because I think – Brady and Bruce Arians after their bye week, they kind of found a formula that started to work. And I think I didn't talk to them personally. I mean, at least this morning I, I didn't, I talked to him yesterday, but you know, they did a really good job during their bye week and doing self scout on their offense and figuring out, okay, Brady, what do you like from concepts that you're comfortable with that you think this works well with the personnel that we have and what with Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich can we, put together with this offense and then let's ride with it. And, and since then they've been undefeated since their bye week they've looked really good in most of those games. And I think their offense is clicking better than the saints. So I, I like the bucks in this game. You yeah. doing any I, NFL network stuff? I'll be doing a little bit of stuff. So obviously it's a little bit goofy with um, the COVID right now, because they're not traveling anybody to these games. Whereas usually they would have a huge studio crew and they would have guys on site for all these games and all the pregame show. Um, but right now the only pregame show they're producing is I think it's game day morning with um, Rich Eisen and Mooch and Kurt Warner and Michael Irvin. And, but since the Browns are playing, um, I'll probably do a, a few cameos, you know what I mean? Maybe a little FaceTime. Love it. Love it. Well, as always, bud, uh, I mean, I appreciate the time and best of luck to the Browns this weekend, big guy. Let's go Brownies. I know I know. I got at least a couple Browns fans down in Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, man. You got all, more than a couple. They're bandwagon fans, but they're here. That's okay. We'll take them all. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on, guys. That man loves the Cleveland Browns. My goodness. I feel bad for him, though. I feel bad for him. He played there for so long poured his his guts into that franchise and now he's got to watch him go have success man i that's got to be tough it's got to hurt and I, I i tell the story all the time but we were on a one in 15 team together and we won that one game on christmas eve against the chargers they were still the san diego chargers then they missed a the field goal we end up winning the game and i'll never forget it I remember it so vividly of coming into the locker room and he's giving and and he's just like hugging me and he just like starts bawling, crying. 
and he starts giving the speech to the entire locker room and he's just sobbing and he's just talking about how much it means to him. And it, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen where it just, it just meant, I mean, we were one in 15, but winning a game meant that much to him. And I, I, I never really approached playing a game the same ever since I was like, damn, if it means that much to that guy, like I need to find a way to make it mean that much to me. So he, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had just a spectacular awesome. human being episode 77 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Don't forget big time interview with Bob Stoops. It's awesome. Uh, I promise. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Till next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time